Before we get going with this week's show, a word from a few of our friends. Let's begin with Keeneland. The Keeneland Fall Meet is off and running. Get in on the action and wager with Keeneland Select. New accounts receive a special $100 back after you wager $200 on Keeneland Racing this October. Wager a total of $300 inside the first 30 days and earn another $100 back with the standard sign-up bonus. Sign up at KeenelandSelect.com. Keeneland Select, mobile betting that gives back. Betmakers. Fixed odds betting powered by Betmakers is back in effect at Monmouth Park, and the early returns are fantastic, with 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. Fixed odds wagering is now available throughout the state of New Jersey. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands. The odds you bet are the odds you get. You will continue to hear more about fixed odds betting opportunities across the In the Money media network. Santa Anita, we have a few different posts. Uh, Pick 6 mandatory payout is scheduled for Saturday, October the 15th, assuming it carries over from Monday. Santa Anita's 20-cent rainbow pick 6 must pay out the jackpot on Saturday, October the 15th. The pool is estimated to exceed $1.5 million. Now, a trio of contests to keep in mind. The $600 Santa Anita Challenge on Saturday, October 22nd. Compete in Santa Anita's next live money handicapping contest on track or via express bet. The $600 challenge features NHC seats and cash. For the full schedule of live money events, head on over to santanita.com slash contests. $5,000 Showviver is back. Playing Santa Anita's free online game, select one horse a day to compete for prizes across five different categories. You can play again for free at santanita.com slash contests. And last but not least, the $14,000 Santa Anita Pick'em online contest mixing popular sports props including horse racing and football offered every saturday and sunday for a chance to win one thousand dollars per contest day again play for free at santaanita.com slash contests and last but certainly not least our friends at the breeders cup this weekend we have two final breeders cup challenge series winning your in races of the year with action from across the pond at champions day at ascot the Queen Elizabeth II Stakes, sponsored by Kipco, is a win and you're in for the FanDuel Mile, while the Kipco Champion Stakes, which will feature Baid, is a win and you're in for the Longines Turf. Coverage will be across FanDuel TV on Saturday morning. Both winners will receive entry fees paid by the Breeders' Cup, a $10,000 reward denominator, and $10,000 travel allowance for horses stabled outside of Kentucky. It is the Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win and you're in, wrapping it up for the season because the actual world championships are just around the corner. Now, on to this week's show. What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is... Well, let's call it for what it is. It's being recorded on Sunday, October the 9th, 2022. It's episode 134 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. You can also watch and listen along over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Burner, your show. You can find this episode along with the 133 prior. Uh, this week's show, kind of heat of the moment sort of thing. The holiday on Monday. I'm flying back home tomorrow, and then Tuesday's a busy day for me, opening night in the NHL, proper opening night, domestically anyway, a couple of games uh, over in Prague, I believe, to start off uh, a couple of days ago, but 
between that and a couple of other things that need to be done, I figured this was as good a time as any. It's 8.35 on Sunday night. I just turned the football game off because, I mean, I guess I could have left it on. I don't know. Uh, but the Mets are also playing the Padres right now in the uh, MLB postseason. But knowing the way that the next couple of days are going to stack up, I figured this is basically just going to be me, call it word vomit. I'm going to go through the past three days of racing, Sunday, Saturday, Friday, between Keeneland, Santa Anita, and Aqueduct in relation to the Breeders' Cup and all these prep races that we saw and all these great performances we saw from many different horses. And I won't hit every race, but this is just going to be a bit of word salad where I go through one at a time, kind of give you the rapid thoughts. We don't have figs for all the races. I have ideas about some of the figs, even though they're not published yet, just based on who I was working with this weekend. Uh, but that, that's what this is going to be. And I apologize if it's not the most in-depth analysis. I've had only X amount of time between the two shows and trying to finish off Premier League stuff that needs to be written and then also getting ready for you know the upcoming week. It's not going to be the deepest dive. There won't be any video. There won't be any of that kind of stuff. And I apologize if I'm whispering, but in a hotel room and I don't want to bother the neighbors next door. I, I came right back from the studio. Quick, got the makeup off. I didn't even get to take a shower, but went right downstairs had some food, brought my uh, my to-go road soda, um, and figured let's let's crank this thing out and let's at least get some opinion, something out there, and let all of you sort of chop it up from there beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Uh, we'll take it in reverse chronological order. We'll start with what we saw happen on Sunday afternoon. We'll begin actually up north in New York wasn't a race that we went over on the broadcast on CNBC, but we talked about the race and we showed the, the stretch run anyway from Nest winning the Belle Dame by more than nine lengths, nearly 10 lengths. Coming into the race, she's earned buyers of 95, 104, 99 in her last three starts. I've said a million times there's every reason for me to believe that that 95 is closer to a 105. So the 99 in the Alabama, I didn't really care about. And frankly, I don't really care what this figure comes back, but it sounds like it's going to be a fast one. I'll leave it at that. Um, I think on the heels of this, and you know, we'll kind of just roll it into the spinster, which we did have in our broadcast, and Malathat was, you know, fantastic winning that race. Blew the doors off of an overmatched field, especially when Latruska is pretty clear. She's just not the same mare at this point. Um favoritism in the distaff is going to boil down to one of those two. Todd has both of them. In my opinion, I would go with Nest being the favorite. She has a million ones next to her name, and you can go back to that Kentucky Oaks and maybe know she wasn't going to beat Secret Oath with a better trip, but that trip, you know, it wasn't the cleanest trip that she's ever seen, and she was a good second that day. Now, both of these fillies love Keeneland, so that's not anything you need to worry about, about the racetrack. But I would go with Nest simply because I think... I'm very curious. When you watch Malathat, and Johnny V brought it up, and we've heard it a few different times, she can be a little bit difficult. She needs to be one that um, you need to persevere on a little bit more than some of these other horses that you see when they go out there and they win. They do so in very you know impressive fashion. She never really does anything visually spectacular. She's sort of a, a hard worker. She's a grinder. 
She's been able to do that, and yes, she's beaten good horses. Don't get me wrong. The, the Clarieres of the world, you know, the Latruscas, the search results, X, Y, and Z. I wonder, can she do that if she has to run down Nest? Because Nest is going to get the head start on her. And I do factor that in, and I would assume Morning Line Makers also factor that in. Nick Tamaro is the Morning Line Maker at Keeneland now. He's going to be tasked with making the Morning Line for the Breeders' Cup in just four weeks' time. That is as unenviable a position as there is. Uh, I, to me, he's also made his opinion known that he's he thinks Ness is good, but she's a little bit, you know, sort of overblown as far as how good she actually is. I would be worried that Nest gets the head start on Malafat, and that ends up being the difference, because they both want every bit of the nine. Uh, Price-wise, you're splitting hairs, I think, really. I, I, can't, I can't envision a scenario where they're that far apart, regardless of who's the favorite, but I'm inclined to think Nest should be the favorite in that sort of, call her seven to five, Malafat nine to five. And then I do think there's a bit of a gap. As good as search results is, and as good as Clarier is, and as good as society is, and anybody else that wants to run in the race. I would say right now, with the form that we've seen, both Nest and Malathot deserve to be sort of in this camp, and then everybody else here, down. We'll find out what the prices end up being. Knock wood, they both get there fully healthy and ready to roll. Uh, but it, it sets the table for a fantastic race between those two. I'm expecting both of these figures to come back fast, uh, not just based on the overall body of work, but many other things brought into the equation. But I, I thought both of them were spectacular, and they're going to head into the Breeders' Cup in the right way. The other race in our broadcast window was the Bourbon, and the winner is, was the winner of the Bourbon, rallying from off the pace for Wayne Catalano and Flavian Pratt. I thought it was a really visually impressive race, but I, I thought... You know, heat of the moment, it's very difficult to do a full-blown analysis when you've only had a handful of seconds to kind of dissect what you saw, you know, the dynamics of the race, who did what, were there, was there trouble, so many different aspects to it. But in the moment, and probably because I had a, a betting interest, um, I, I thought it was one of those things that you took a look at the fractions. I mean, they were, they were going pretty good, especially considering they're two-year-olds. 22 and 1, 45 and 4, 10 and 4 for three quarters. They stopped the clock at 41 and 1. Deer District was up there pressuring the pace throughout. And if you look and see where everyone a half mile into the run, this isn't going to be the first time I mentioned this for a race at Keeneland over the past couple of days. Deer, excuse me, Deer District is second, a length off the pace half mile into the run you look and see where the first third fourth fifth and sixth place finishers or runners at that time anyway ended up finishing the leader who was a length clear a half mile into the run or a half length i should say finished second last the horse that was third finished 10th fourth finished ninth fifth Fifth finished sixth, sixth finished fourth, seventh finished third. But there's a pretty clear sort of discrepancy. Notice I glossed over Deer District, who was second at that point and finished second. Those other horses finished at the tail end of the pack. The top, let's go with five, a half mile into the run, 
were 9th, 2nd, 7th, 6th, and 12th. So I think Deer District ran the best race. He did not win. And it, it's easy to say that. And the winner is was almost three lengths clear. So if you want to say he was just a better horse, that's your prerogative. I'm looking at it just purely from a dynamic standpoint. And I think Deer District is interesting. If they do go to the Breeders' Cup, it's Dale Romans. I see no reason why they wouldn't at least take a shot. I could see Deer District being kind of sneaky, maybe not to win, but why can't he run third at a giant price? He's going to be at least 20 to 1 in that race, if not more. Uh, I, I thought he ran very well. I thought the winner ran really well. But big picture, I don't know. You know, can you convince yourself that any one of these two-year-old males is going to run with one of the Europeans that comes over? You take a look at the history of this race. The Europeans have dominated the boys' division. The U.S. has dominated the girls' division. But I'm more interested in this race purely from sort of an underneath standpoint, saying, you know what, maybe I can get Deer District in there at a, a very big price to run second or third. And who knows, maybe I will pick him in time. And again, this is the difficulty of doing it, you know, sort of in the immediate aftermath. But... I thought he ran really well. The winner, take nothing away from him, but I thought he had a really good setup, got a good ride from Pratt, uh, and he kicked on the way that sort of Catalano expected him to. Um, my takeaway, though, would be I think Deer District is one that you could at least, in theory, use underneath for a race like the Juvenile Turf. Let's uh, talk about the spiciest of the spicy meatballs, shall we? The two-year-olds in Kentucky and California, led by Cave Rock, who has been nothing short of spectacular throughout his entire career. He's now three for three. He's won by six lengths, five and a quarter, five and a quarter. His most recent win coming Saturday, first time going two turns in the American Pharaoh, dusted the field, did the same thing in the Del Mar Futurity, going seven-eighths of a mile. The scariest part is he's at his strongest, it seems, relative to everyone else at the end of the run in in many ways and i'm not the uh certainly not the first one to bring this up but in many ways like his dad arrogate who unfortunately has passed away you never know what he could have been as far as a stallion is concerned but holy smokes this thing looks like a monster and the figs seemingly back it up in his three starts he's gone 101 98 104 um Initially, I was very taken by what we saw in Kentucky from both of the top two, to be fair. I thought Forte ran a really good race. He's now paired up buyer tops of 92. I did think he had the benefit of a really, really hot pace in the grand scheme of things to take advantage of. And conversely, Loggins was the one who did all the dirty work and only lost by a neck still. Now, the buyers of 92 and 91 from the top two sound good until you see that number from Cave Rock later on in the afternoon, and you go, uh, well, now we're talking about a couple of horses that need to find four lengths, somewhere thereabouts. I mean, maybe it's going to happen. The other problem is Cave Rock is a fast horse early on, and I think he's faster than anybody else that's going to go in the race. And I guess there's even a scenario that he doesn't need the lead. We don't know that yet, but 
based on the way he moves and the way he finishes his races, man, he's going to be a very, very tough entrant to beat Breeders' Cup Friday. And I love the race from Loggins. I thought he was spectacular, really. But you're kind of in a darn if you do, darn if you don't position, especially when you think about with Loggins anyway. This is going to be three races in seven weeks. It's very atypical of Brad Cox. It's good to know that he handles Keeneland. But you wonder if it's a bit too much too soon. Uh, he's nearly paired up by our tops. He earned a 90 in the debut, earned a 91 on Saturday. So maybe there is a forward move. But even if it is a forward move, let's say you get up to a high 90. Cave Rock would need to run arguably the slowest race of his life for Loggins to then be competitive with him. Uh, Flight Line's going to be the heaviest favor of the weekend. I feel rather confident about that. This horse won't be far off, though. And this, this goes into what I've talked about over the past few weeks. You're going to have really competitive races, but even in those competitive races, there is one horse that is strictly the one to beat. Whether it is Flightline in the Classic, whether it is now Cave Rock in the Juvenile, whether it's Modern Games in the Mile, whether it's Jack Christopher in the Dirt Mile, whether it's Jackie's Warrior in the Sprint. You know, th these, are, these are legitimate favorites. Now, the other races, maybe you can poke some holes in, maybe you can't. That's, you know, yeah, the beauty of the Breeders' Cup is you can find horses that you can make legitimate cases for, even into the teeth of these, you know, seemingly hard-to-beat to kind of runners, and you're going to get rewarded. Because any other day, they'd be even money, and now you're going to get 5x on them. I thought both of the horses at Keeneland were really good. Red Route 1 even deserves a little bit of credit going to dirt for the first time, but he did have the run of the race purely from a, a pace standpoint. But you just look and see, that horse out west is going to be such a handful. Because even if you're fast enough to go with him early, you have the stamina to finish with him. Because the stamina is probably the thing that sets him apart and makes him a bit of a horse of a different color at this point. In that he's got that that blend of speed and stamina. Cave Rock is going to be a handful on Breeders' Cup Friday. Let's look at the two mile races from Keeneland. One for the boys, one for the girls. Annapolis wins the Coolmore Turf Mile. In Italian wins the First Lady. They both earn fast speed figures. In Italian wins in Gate to Wire fashion, a 104 buyer. Annapolis defeats older horses for the first time that he takes them on with a 103. I thought both of them were really well. Annapolis has what I have long deemed, anybody that's listened to this show before knows, uh, I, the if you could draw up the perfect running style for a miler on turf, it is, and I suppose really this is kind of the ideal running style for any race, but specifically it feels like a mile on grass. Wise Dan, Teppin, these horses that have the early foot to be up close to the pace, and still have a real legitimate turn of foot. No, it's not as good as the deep closers, but if the deep closers can't make up a five-length gap because the horses with the tactical speed 
kick at, let's say, a rate of three lengths compared to your five, well, they're never going to run you down. It's a two-length difference. They're not going to make up all that space. Annapolis becomes really intriguing. Now, I don't think he's good enough to beat modern games. You have to keep in mind, he's also a three-year-old, and he has lengths to find. But Annapolis becomes a really interesting alternative to modern games if you are trying to take him on. Uh, you know, does he end up going off as the second choice in the race? He might. Uh, I'm, I'm failing to think of anyone who necessarily deserves that honor over him. But even as the second choice, if modern games is six to five, Annapolis is what, three to one? I don't think that's terrible. I'm not saying I'm sitting here, you know, all in looking forward to, to taking on modern games. I think he's I think he's as real as real gets. But I loved everything I saw from Annapolis here, and, and I'm glad that he proved that his two losses, which, by the way, were second-place finishes, I, you know, I said it on the show. I feel like, one, he ran in a bog, and the other one he ran at a mile and three sixteenths, a distance that's just too far for him. His other races have all been... A, wins, but B, very impressive. And he's done it in different fashions, but this to me is what he is. He has got brilliant tactical speed. He's a miler at heart, and he belongs in any of these big races going forward. As far as in Italian is concerned, I guess the question, and I haven't read anything, do you take your shot running her in the mile? Or do you try to stretch her out to a mile and three sixteenths and run her in the Philly and Merit Turf? My, my, my head says they'll probably try to stretch her out. But there is a part of me that would be lying if I said I didn't think she would be a fascinating runner in the mile this year. Because talking about Annapolis with that tactical speed, you know, an Italian can go out there, and I know that fractionally she went slower than the Coolmore Mile did to the half she went 47 uh the boys went well annapolis went 46 94 himself and she went 47 i think she would need to break it open to really truly have a chance in there but if you think that the distance is going to be a problem for her and she's probably by herself on the front in the philly and mare turf She's interesting. I, I don't. I don't know that I'm in love with her for a race like the the Philly Mare Turf. But Rougier, and this is a bit of a tangent because it's not one of the tracks that I'm talking about. But Rougier got back to her winning ways up at Woodbine on Saturday. She won the EP Taylor Stakes, and she's the one that I've kind of had in my the back of my head that maybe all of her bad races over the really over the course of the year, have been a product of turf that's just simply too firm. And if she gets some ground that's got a little bit of, let's say, a little give in it, a little cushion, even if it is firm, they don't get any rain down there, maybe a, a, a Keeneland kind of turf course would play more to Rougier's benefit. So in that respect, knowing that they're both owned by Peter Brandt, do you run in Italian and Rougier in the Philly and Mare turf, knowing that you've got an Italian who's going to the front, if somebody wants to go and they get into some sort of a barn burner, you've got, in, you've got Rougier trying to rally from the back of the pack. 
I think it would be tough for her to run in the mile. I do think it would be a fascinating spot if they chose to do that. I don't think they will. Um, but, but a big effort from her, no matter how you shake it down. Regal Glory, I don't know. It's difficult for me to see a path for her to the mile, should they choose to go there. And then I think a mile and 316th is probably pushing it for her from a Philly and Mare Turf standpoint. So I, I think she's kind of lost in no man's land. There's a part of me that says punt on the mile, wait to bring her back in the matriarch like you did last year, and try to pick that one up before putting her away for good. Um, but, you know, again, Chad knows more about his turf horses than, than anybody, so I'm sure he'll put them in the appropriate spots. The two sprints earlier on the card, one on turf, one on dirt, the TCA for the Phillies and Mares slammed. I mean, she's she's a really cool horse, A, to begin with, a New, New Mexico bred. Uh, but B, she's fast. She's real. I don't think 7-8 is going to be an issue for her. She wins the TCA with a 99 buyer. She does so uh, in gate-to-wire fashion. Uh, you know, she drew off at the end like a good thing. I don't think it, it's one of those performances that's going to take so much out of her that you're going to see some sort of a, a you know, a rebound or a bounce, I should say, uh, coming up in just a few weeks' time. I think slammed the fact that she has this victory already over the Keeneland main track is a, a feather in her cap. And again, you know, it's a division that I've never, I have a hard time really sitting here saying that, you know, one filly or mare is head and shoulders above everyone else. So why can't a horse like slammed win this year's filly and mare sprint? As far as the race prior, the Woodford, Golden Pal wins. When I watched the race live, he got a little drifty at the end. He got a little little wonky. He went fast again, though, if you believe the fractions. 21-1, and 43-2. Stops the clock and 101-1. and one. Fig comes back a 106. And if you look and see what everybody else typically does, it more or less checks out. So he's going to show up in that spot. If not the favorite, it'll be Highfield Princess. Uh, but those two will be the favorites in there. And maybe this is an opportunity that you get. Maybe he's even money and she's two to one or five to two. And everybody else is, you know, six to one or greater. Um, I don't know what to do with him because I, I haven't been blown away by either of his last two. Certainly the King stands, you know, for many reasons, draw a line through it. But he's won each of his last two races. The times have been good. Visually, they've been meh. And you wonder, is he starting to lose a little bit here? He's only four, but I feel like there's an element of when these horses are so fast that that, that candle burns a lot quicker than some of these route horses. Uh, he's, he's a very tough call right now, and I'll need more time to sit back and go through and look at things and see what I really think, but also acknowledging what I've acknowledged a million times, that turf sprints are not where I'm going to make my hay, uh, especially from a standpoint of something like the BCBC. I'm not going to have a ton of money into this considering my track record with turf sprints. I'm just not. But from a fan standpoint, he is an extremely cool horse. He loves Keeneland. He's a perfect four for four. And he is unbelievably fast early on. So we'll see what happens. But Golden Pal, he, he continues on that road to favoritism for the turf sprint. Question is, is he the same horse? Find out in four weeks.
Last Saturday race I'll touch on is the Joe Hirsch Turf Classic. Warlike Goddess defeats the boys. I, I don't know what you want to do with this race. I, to me, it doesn't change your opinion of her. It shouldn't anyway, one way or the other. You either liked her as a prospect in the turf or you didn't. Because when Gufo and Adamo run last, second last, and I guess if you want to include Soldier Rising and Rock Emperor third last and fourth last in a field of seven. What do you really glean from this? The pace held up. Yes, I kind of get that. But, uh, and I like Bye Bye Melvin. I think he's a good horse. He's not this. He's not a grade one mile and a half, mile and a quarter, you know, somewhere in that. But he's not. What, what do you, what do you take away from this? That, that she can beat, she effectively had to beat two horses when the other four didn't show up or didn't get over Aqueduct or however you want to chop it up. And she did that, and she did so pretty impressively. I would have liked to have seen her get away from them a little quicker or with more ease. And as the race got longer, you know, down the stretch, she extended. She has as good a chance as any American horse in the turf. The question is who comes from overseas? Really, that's what it boils down to. Because you're not terrified of any of the American horses. But it could be a range of, I mean, we, we've heard, after watching everything, and I don't know, we'll get a little bit more information uh, after the champion stakes. Wouldn't surprise you if Broom came over. Broom's come over here a couple of times. Doesn't sound like Nation's Pride's going to go, the three-year-old. Rebels Romance, who's been making hay in Germany. You know, I, I don't think he's a superstar, but he's probably better than what we've got. But Warlike Goddess is not impossible against a horse like that. Now, if Adair comes over here, who it sounds like Charlie Appleby said if for whatever reason he upsets Baid this coming weekend, then he probably goes away for, for the winter. But if he runs a good second, maybe they do come over and they run him here and go on from there. I mean, at that point, he would strictly be the horse to be. So I don't think if you liked her going into this race, this race does nothing to either bring you up or bring you down. And conversely, if you were kind of dubious of her chances against the boys, I don't think this race really does much for you. Conversely, I would be terrified to back a horse like Gufo or Adamo. And honestly, I just don't think the other horses are, are Breeders' Cup turf winning caliber runners. Rock Emperor Soldier Rising, but Gufo is, he will always be an enigma. Always. Because I thought, I thought he had put it all together to a degree. He loves Saratoga, we know that. But he comes back and he runs so well at Kentucky Downs. The timing was a little peculiar. It was very quick. Two week turnaround, and he comes back here in four weeks with the thought again to go four weeks to the turf and he just never picked his feet up and may, maybe it was aqueduct i mean this is a horse that he's run there twice now uh, his best finish was the third place uh, i don't know what you want to do with him and adamo you know aside from he, he really feels like he had two good races 
Manhattan where he finished second, and then he came back and he won the United Nations at Monmouth, which was a grade one in name only. But beyond that, he's he's fine. Second in the fairgrounds, third in the turf classic, eighth in the sword dancer, sixth in this race. I, I just I, I don't know what she beat. I don't think she beat anything of, of consequence, really. So how do you think she stacks up against the Europeans? That's what the question needs to be. Because if it's an American that wins, it's just chaos in general, aside from her. It's it's one that you... I mean, yeah, if you want to take a flyer on a long shot, that's one thing. But there's, there's not one American right now that you can sit here and say with confidence, her aside, yes, this is... I expect this one to run a big race. All boils down to how good are the Europeans that make the trip over here. Let's burn through the three Friday races at Keeneland. We'll begin with the Alcibiades. Wonder Wheel wins, gate-to-wire fashion. Uh, Raging Sea is close to the pace. She finishes third. Jigera is also close to the pace, finishes fourth. The one horse that made a big move from the back of the pack, and to be completely honest, I need to go back and watch this replay because it wasn't part of our show. Well, actually, none of the stuff on Friday was. We just kind of did the stretch runs of them. But I have to go back and watch it a little bit more in depth. Chop Chop is the only one that makes up any significant ground. It was also her first start on dirt. If you think this could be a hot pace the first Friday in November, maybe Chop Chop is interesting. She took money, more money than I thought she would, considering, again, she was making her first start on dirt. But she's really done nothing wrong now in three lifetime starts. Uh, but speaking of doing nothing wrong, with the exception of a second-place finish in the spinaway, Wonder Wheel is now three for four, four times in the exact. She's won on the lead, she's won off the lead, she's won sprinting, and now she's won going two turns around uh, a route of ground. I, visually, I didn't think it was spectacular, but this is a group in general. The two-year-old fillies, I think, it, I think is ripe for the taking. So here I am saying I think there are superstars potentially in these other divisions, this is one where it feels like maybe you can shop around a little bit. Maybe you can get a little cute, a little creative. You find a horse that you like slightly under the radar. Maybe you think thing, they're going to either move up or the pace is going to work for them or whatever. Maybe this is the kind of race, the juvenile fillies, that you can take advantage of. Let's move on to the Jessamine. Now, I tweeted this, and it's in very similar fashion to uh, the way... I didn't tweet this part. I tweeted about uh, the futurity with the fact that, you know, Loggins was up on the pace and it more or less came apart. And for him to stick around at the end just goes to emphasize how big that run was. That same thing can be said about today's race, Sunday's race, uh, with uh, Deer District, with the way the whole thing played out, close to the pace, it falls apart, he's still around late. The same can go the opposite direction, and it's kind of how I looked at the Friday race, the Jessamine for the girls. Delight is out there on the cushiest of leads. Bling is just off of her in the cushiest of scenarios. CC Cruise Control is right there. They finish first, third, and fifth. Knock Your Socks Off and Sabalenka come from 11th and 12th after the first quarter, 10th and 12th after the opening half, and then 9th and 12th after the opening three quarters of a mile to run second and fourth in a race where there's no pace i'm always going to upgrade those kind of fillies or just horses in general that they have it all go against them 
And it's also worth noting, Knock Your Socks Off is the horse that defeated Sabalenka in the debut. Sabalenka comes back and wins her next start. And there's a reason that the two of them were, you know, the fourth and fifth choice, somewhere thereabouts, uh, in the wagering. I think either or both of them, but specifically I'm a fan of Knock Your Socks Off. I think she's quite good. With some pace in the juvenile Phillies turf, uh, I wouldn't rule them out at decent prices to come and pick up some pieces. And who knows, maybe even upset the whole thing. Uh, the other race is the Phoenix. Stolkeen and Ogden Phoenix. You know, great story with Manny Wah. Cool horse. Continues to show up and run his race at six, as does long-range Toddy. I, I mean, I just can't envision a scenario where this is a race that has any real impact on the Breeders' Cup sprint. They are in speed figures of 89, 88, 88, 85. It just... I think it's more of a, a fun race. And look, if, if it's a supersonic pace meltdown, maybe Manny Walk can come and grab a piece. But he's just not fast enough, really, to be considered a contender in a race like the Breeders' Cup Sprint. That's going to do it for this week's show. Again, apologies for sort of the makeshift setup. It's my laptop camera. It's my little mobile microphone. And... Um, just figured it was better to get it recorded and taken care of now at least that way uh, it can be hopefully uploaded monday night by the time i get home i'm not even gonna try to upload it or send it over to producer craig with hotel wi-fi knowing that some of these files are gonna be rather large but again thank you all for bearing with me this week uh next week and the following week we're gonna have a couple of segments specifically on keeneland and handicapping on keeneland and no, not bigger picture as far as Breeders' Cup is concerned. Actual sequences uh, at the end of those weeks, whether they're pick threes, pick fours, pick fives, TBD. We'll wait and see how things are shaken down at that point. But we're going to have some handicapping specific to Keeneland, some sequences coming up over the next two weeks on the show. Uh, we'll also go back and look at anything else that needs to be discussed. Uh, but more importantly, if you have questions, comments, concerns, specific horses you want to hear about, thoughts as far as Breeders' Cup is concerned, wagering strategies, uh, you know, best ways to go through and analyze tape or whatever it may be beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. We are in, this, we're not even in the nitty gritty now. They're all going to be over. The Challenge Series race is next weekend. You got a couple left over in England, but beyond that, it's over. The hard work, the prep work is done. Now it's the fine tuning, getting these horses ready to go for the first Friday and the first Saturday in November at Keeneland and Lexington, and now it's the fine-tuning for you and I to go through handicapping-wise, try to get an idea of what we're looking at for fields, how the races are shaping up, what the complexions look like, and who we think we want to really get stuck into, put most of our money behind for Breeders' Cup weekend. I can't wait. It's my favorite two days of the year from a gambling standpoint uh, and also from a sporting standpoint. It's the best of the best, and this year it could be a very special Breeders' Cup World Championships. Again, questions, comments, concerns, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Until next week, it's been episode 134 of the Pod. Best of luck, however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play.